Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Mike. And I'm Nate. So, we are recording at my studio today, aka my uh, smoking room. Uh, we're smoking a Rocky Patel Vintage 92. And uh, I that's said before we started recording that I really like the shape of this cigar. That's a 1992, 1992. Not an 1892. Yes. I really like the shape of this one. Uh, box press torpedo yeah. looks to be six inches long. Uh, you can look it up for yourself. Yes, very nice shape. Very nice shape. I really like this. Smells all right. <laughs> I think this will be a good one. There's a little bit of spice on the wrapper. Yeah, there is. I don't think we actually said what we we're going to talk about this time. Uh, no, we didn't. No, I know we wanted to, and I'll see if I can pull it up real quick. Uh, we can give some initial initial thoughts. I mean, we're only a couple puffs in, but... It's very strong. Very so far. strong. It's got a good draw to it. Yes. Uh, these are uh, highly rated, usually. This would be more of a premium cigar than what we've been smoking. Yes. Uh, we thought it'd be fun because uh, it, it's a while ago now. Um, but we're going to talk about kind of uh, the Aunt Jemima removing the Aunt Jemima um, icon and Lando Lakes removing the Lando Lakes uh, indigenous person from the yeah. uh, fighting Sioux. I know I didn't mention Sioux. it when we talked about it earlier, but that pissed a lot of people off when they changed them to the fighting hawks. So we thought it'd be funny if we went through and found all of the uh, the products that were like gendered, not like soap for men, but like you know Mrs. Buttersworth versus uh, things. But I think that'll have to be a different one because I don't know. Here's 35 products that are pointless. All right, 115. These aren't really necessarily the names of the brands. So maybe I should have done like gendered name brands on my Google search. But yeah, we um, do a little research. We'll do a little bit of research. We'll see what this... Well, we could talk about what we did, were doing earlier. Nate's been over at my place for uh, three hours now. And uh, we shot some uh, trap. And yeah. Then we uh, did some target shooting as well. And it had been years and years and years since I shot trap. So it took me at least a few few rounds to get back into the swing of targeting and everything. But, uh, yeah. And I uh, we had a... I had uh, my ammo at a place that had a fire, so I have a lot of smoke-damaged uh, ammo. So I was shooting uh, six-shot high brass and then T-shot, <laughs> three-inch T-shot, which if people don't know, that's uh, heavy goose load ammo. So it's very uh, strong for those who aren't hunters, uh, which is always fascinating. And the sixth shot would be something for, like, uh, early season pheasants. And then we did a little bit of pistol action. Yep. Shot a uh, 9mm and a 38. Yeah. And uh, it's always fun. Always fun. Yeah, it took me a couple couple shots before I got it down, and then I was double tapping. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say, like, normal, but <laughs> pretty much like normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of the uh, the dust and rust off the uh, the old shoulder and uh, yep. everything. So yep, yep. So I'm gonna have to clean that that uh, firearm. I talked to a guy um, 
who works for the military who does arms for them. Okay. And I asked him about the ammo, if it was going to get damaged by the smoke. And he said, no, shoot it up, but you're going to have to make sure you clean your firearms. Oh, yeah. Because the smoke on the outside will damage the gun. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. That's yeah. interesting. I'm surprised that the uh, the plastic uh, housing on the on the rounds didn't melt. Uh, they're not. It wasn't heat. It was mostly smoke. Oh, smoke. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an electrical uh, mm. electrical fire caused by a uh, carbon monoxide detector shorting. Okay. Internally, the thing so, that's supposed to save you of all things. Yeah, the thing that's supposed to save you of all things is that it had a short internally. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. But as you can see, the brass was corroded and everything. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Even the old uh, wingmaster couldn't uh, yep. couldn't eject some of the rounds. <laughs> well, I remember I remember hearing um, why the Colts, like the pistols, were so popular with cowboys and everything, is they weren't necessarily the most well manufactured revolver of the time of the era, but they were manufactured so loose that they could still operate in fire with dust and sand from uh. the trail in them. So everybody preferred that because. They weren't as fine-tuned, precise as some of the other uh, revolvers on the market. Sure. So you could actually get them out, get them dirty, and still fire them. Sure. So that's like the original uh, – I'm going to make myself sound like a fool because it's not an AR-15. And it's not an M1. The um, AKs? No, 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 no. The American rifles. The first generation American like rifles. I know. That's weird. What's going on? Uh, the first generation of the M1 – when they uh, brought them to Vietnam, would have jamming problems because the tolerances were too tight, and they oh, would yeah. get mud in them and stuff. They were just junk. Well, Vietnam is fairly humid, I believe. Yeah, it's humid and muddy. It's jungle, yeah. jungle. Yeah. Never been there, but I've been in Southeast Asia, and it's jungly. Uh, but very interesting. Yeah, versus the AK forty-seven, which yeah. I Almost. heard that comparison once that the guy who designed the original M1 was an aircraft aircraft designer, engineer, okay. and the guy who designed the AR, or not the AR, the AK-47 was a tank designer. Okay. So they have two different <laughs> two different philosophies. Yes. I don't know if that's actually true. That might just be apocryphal. I thought the AK-47 <laughs> designer was just a drunk Russian, but... Maybe some of that. Hard to I say. Don't know. I don't know. Uh, so on the table here, you do you know what this is? I think we've had it before, haven't we? Have we had it before? Well, you tell me. And well, the listeners might out. not. You might have had it. I've had but this jar for a while. You can see it at home. If you're listening right now, you can see what Mike is holding. Can, oh, he can see us right now? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, activate your 3D goggles yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was on vacation <laughs> uh, a year or two ago in South Dakota, and I will not say what part or anything like that, but we stopped There's by. There's only one part. Right. I, uh, uh, we stopped by a gas station, and they had white liquor. In the gas station, in mason jars, and this is a ball, wide mouth mason jar, and uh, a local person. Uh, we're not going to name names. We're not going to name names, but I guess it was a little old lady that lived a couple miles from the gas station, made white liquor. She was grandmothered in. Yeah, she and was literally it before it was illegal. Yeah, and uh, they were selling the white liquor at the gas station for this old lady. <laughs> so I, of course, had to stop and get some. Yeah. And, uh, and it's pretty good. This before. We had to have had some before. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, didn't make me go blind the first time, and the jar is almost empty. I should have bought yes. a half gallon. Yeah, but uh, that was an option. That they they did. They had half gallons of it. Yeah, they had every well, next size. Next time you go, let me know, and I'll give you some money. Pick me up some. Mm-hmm. 
I'll have to. I'll go back to that part. I I, I know some people there live yeah. live there, which is why we were there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I was like, oh my god, how, who can resist buying white liquor from a gas station? Especially with the heartwarming story. I know with the heart. Yeah, with the heartwarming it's probably story. Probably her sixteen year old grandson that's making it and carrying her name and icon on. It could have been, but it's good. Not, uh, it's not the uh, horrible white liquor that you get from the store, which is always strange because you can buy white liquor now. Yeah. Uh, but it's always crap. And then you get the white what? liquor that's made by somebody. Yeah. And it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can buy Everclear in the store. Not real Everclear in Minnesota. Oh, not in Minnesota? Yeah, they don't sell 195 here. Okay. Uh, I know they do across the border. Um. Yeah, they sell everything across the border. Yeah, so it depends on which border. Well, yeah. But I used to use uh, 195 to clean pipes. Mm. Uh, but now I just use vodka. But yeah. when I uh, had better access to 195, that's what I used. Yeah, I remember making some, uh, I don't know what term for it is that isn't offensive. So we'll just say some cooler mix uh, with some Everclear. You know, you'd put Everclear and you'd toss a bunch of fruit in there and let it sit. Oh. For like a party. You yeah, know, yeah, like you, yeah. You do it a couple of days beforehand yeah. and let it sit. Um, yeah. I don't know if any of the nicknames of what we call it would. Yeah, I know what you're not. talking like, about. Wanna, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to just say, hey, this is what it was. There's there's a J and a J. Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, it's like, I don't know if it's an acronym starting with a W. Oh, I didn't I know, know that. I don't know what that stands for. Uh, I, I, I know that that's a racial slur. But I'm not sure if that uh, is... Uh... So that's why we're not saying the only thing that we know it by. And I'm saying like mixed in a large volume vessel, mm-hmm. uh, such as a cooler or something else that you wouldn't be too turned off drinking out of. Right. Yeah. yeah. You could do it in a bathtub, I, I assume. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The uh, you can, I guess what was if you were an adult, you'd do it in an igloo, the igloo water yeah. coolers. Yeah. They make 10-gallon ones now. I just saw one the other okay. day. And it's too big to fit into a back of a pickup, though. Hmm. So you can't close your, your cover on it. And it's like, well, yeah. what's the point of that, then? Yeah. The whole point of the five gallons is that you can yeah. strap it to your truck. Mm-hmm. If you have a truck. Yes. <laughs> or you can buckle it in the passenger seat if you have a car. Right. So Cool. So there yeah. is that. But, yeah, we were initially going to try. In a quick Google search, I thought for sure there would be just something out there. Here's all the uh, brand names that have, like, a Mr. or Mrs. or, you know, Betty Sue or whatever, where the brand names are just unnecessarily gendered. Uh, but all I could find was why is there a different soap for men and women? Why is there, you know, like, the products that are needlessly gendered where it's like a men's man's razor versus a woman's razor. Sure. Um, My Sarah and I get, not all the time, but... We've occasionally had that conversation, and um, I buy the ladies stuff if it's cheaper. I don't care if it's pink or not. I know that mm-hmm. I use uh, monkey butt powder a lot during the summer because I work outside a lot, and I'll buy the lady monkey butt powder. It's dyed pink for whatever reason. It's in a pink container, and they have a mm-hmm. pink dye in it, uh, but you can get three why. bottles of it for the price of one regular monkey butt powder. Well, and it's like, well, I don't so care. So what if you I'll, look like Rafiki? Yeah, I, all I want it to do is absorb sweat on my crotch. Yep. That's like all it needs to do. Or in my socks. I'll put it in my socks mm. and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, as, I, as I lace my boots up, you know. But mm. I have a pink backpack. 
uh, for bowling. Yeah, we've talked about that before. We've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got them for super cheap. Yeah. You know? So uh, not that anybody really cares, but I have a matching set of bowling bags. I got a four ball uh, and two three balls, and they're all the same uh, royal blue uh, color. And they're uh, super fancy and all that. And they make a royal blue backpack in the same brand. They're all the same brand. Mm -hmm. But I didn't buy the royal blue because the royal blue was like $30 more than the pink one. And the pink was so cheap. I got one and then I went on sale even deeper and I got the second one for like $13. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, who cares? (laughs) So when we were out shooting, uh, shooting trap, we were talking about, because we picked up our shells and uh, I was shooting a 20 gauge. And I was shooting a 12 gauge and all of his shells were kind of a deep red. So not like the, not the, the hunting uniforms or hunting outfits from like the eighties where remember they were all red and then they invented or came up or decided blaze orange was easier to be seen. And then mine were all yellow, which were easy enough to see in the grass. But we were talking, if you're out hunting in the fall and you've got yellow and red and some of the shells are green and some of them are black, they're not really high visibility. And if you really want to, to, you know, a lot of, Hunters will go out and say that they're hunting because they love the environment oh so much and you need to manage animal populations, which is true. I mean, in modern times, that's why we have a lot of uh, fires that cause all this destruction because the plains used to burn, you know, woods used to burn. Uh, We prevent all of that stuff now as humans. But we were picking up the shells and we're talking about why don't they make these, you know, blaze orange? Yes, we were. Uh, Or blaze pink. Yeah. Because they... they, uh, the year, a couple years ago, and I'm, I'm sure they still do it, uh, Federal was making breast cancer themed uh, not promo uh, loads. Not themed. Breast cancer awareness yeah, themed. Yeah, uh, breast cancer awareness themed uh, promo loads, which for people who don't know, they're like seven and a half, eight shot loads intended to shoot at clay pigeons only. And uh, it's kind of a nice gimmick, and I liked them. I bought a couple cases of it because uh, they're super easy to see when they go on the ground. Uh, and it's great. And I hunt out of a lodge with guys uh, that I've been hunting at for years. And uh, every one of us all agrees that they should make blaze orange hunting shotgun shells. You know, and we're shooting pheasants uh, from fall till winter. And uh, it's just so hard to see sometimes uh, where the shotgun shells are. Because I have a variety and they're from the dark red, like that oak, red oak red. Uh, to uh, olive green to black, and they're they're all yeah, colors a, that look you they disappear into the grass. Yeah, and it's a deep deep red. It's not like the sumac in the fall red where it's pops. No, it's like it's red, oak, the, yeah, red, red oak. Red, yeah. It's uh, it is very difficult to see yeah. uh in a field especially, and yeah. even uh my dove loads are black and red and uh olive green. And you're shooting on fields that were just cut. And it's so hard to see that. <laughs> and I don't want to leave them. And you're shooting, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, oh, how obnoxious. Yeah, and especially in the fall when all the leaves come and, you know, you've got the yellow poplar leaves on the ground and mm-hmm. the red and the brown and you can't hardly see them. Right. And there's no reason not to make them blaze orange or pink because then even if, even if you're going, because like <clears throat> where we used to target shoot, other people would target shoot. And we'd always pick up, we'd pick up more, more shells than we shot. We'd pick up more clay pigeons than we shot. We'd pick up all the trash there because yep. it was on, you know, state land and we wanted to keep it nice. We wanted to be able to keep shooting there. We wanted, you know, um, 
you just don't want your woods littered with with shells and stuff. So we always pick up all of our shells, all of our spents when we're out uh, out in the woods, either target shooting or hunting. And uh, there's no reason not to make them highly visible. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, like who wouldn't, you know, and that's kind of led to a discussion about, you know, is that kind of that fragile masculinity or toxic masculinity where you won't buy something pink because it's pink or you won't, you know, like you think it's girly, so you won't do it. Right. Which, uh, occasionally guys will make fun of me lightly for my pink backpack. Uh, but it's really easy to see my bowling equipment when I put it on top of my bowling bags, when you're in a bowling alley, that's got 30 lanes. Mm Hmm. Real easy to see where my stuff is. And I would think, by and large, most men um, either like it because it's a different color than Mm -hmm. they normally see, or they're a little jealous that they're not confident enough to carry a color that has supposedly been gendered. Sure. I have a pink watch. Yeah. I I love it. In the summertime, it's great. I don't think I've seen that one. You have to show me. Uh, It's that swatch that has the pink band, the Miami band. So Swatch makes cheap watches, second watch, right? And they're all quartz. And this one's really cool. The dial's green okay. and uh, blue, and it's got the rotating. It's all skeletonized. But okay. then the band is a Miami-themed band, so oh, it's okay. like turquoise and pink <clears throat> yep. and uh, yellow. It's really it's, yep. it's, it's, it's fun. It's I a know summer I was watch. I doing some research on, uh I'm not as big into watches as Mike is. Mike seems to be big into everything that I've got kind of a passing interest in, so maybe that's why we're good friends because right. I get a lot of information from him. Right, and you're a big fan of stuff that I'm like, you know, tertiarily yeah. interested. <laughs> Movies, I've seen one. <laughs> Didn't like it. Um, but you know i mean it was um and you know like my biggest thing was i I grew up in a small small town in wisconsin and we all just wore you know like the graphic tees all the time and like the baggy shorts or whatever and then how do you dress more adult well nobody knows because our parents lived in that small town and they never went anywhere where anybody saw them and you don't necessarily have to. Like, I'm not saying you have to wear fancy clothes or know anything about style, but I was trying to get a little more into it so that I didn't look like I was perpetually a high school kid, but getting older. You mm-hmm. know, like he's been held back 20 years now um, and he's trying to graduate. Um, so I was trying to, you know, like get some nicer clothes, but for cheap because I didn't want to go out and spend all this money on stuff that I wasn't sure I'd even like or fit or feel comfortable in. Um you know, but you can develop your own style anytime, anywhere. It doesn't matter. That's not the whole point of the conversation. But I was looking into kind of cheaper watches that weren't, because um, all I had was like a digital one, right? With the rubber band and digital and it was whatever, you know, you wear it out hunting because it doesn't tick so you don't scare the deer and stuff. But um, the one that I really like, it's a it's a Timex but from, from Target. So it was like, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks has a cloth or fabric band, real nice movement and everything like it keeps good time uh, and looks good with most most clothing i didn't wear it now i wore it in new york and the band got kind of soaked in sweat because it was almost 100 degrees every day so sure. probably got to give that a old rinse roo but uh you should uh look, look into down. getting nato straps okay i like the nato straps they uh they're just a pull through you know yep that's what this and one I, is yeah i modify them i i, I turn them into a zulu so the nato has an underband okay i just cut that off burn it so it's a straight through. Okay. And you can switch them out real easy. And even on my work watches and stuff, okay. I'll have a NATO. I I, uh, I wear a G-Shock at work. 
I'm wearing a G-Shock right now. This is yeah. an expensive one. Yeah. But uh, my digital looks like that, but it's one of the cheap ones, you know. Yeah. This is a, a GW5000, okay. uh, like 1JFU or whatever the okay. hell it is. It's made in Japan. It's all the fancy stuff. Yeah. Mike's got the encyclopedic knowledge of the uh, model numbers of work boots. Yeah, shoes and watches. Yes, I do. Yes, uh, when I it do. When it comes to um, cigar length and gauge, not little, so much. Little hit or miss. Yeah, but, little hit uh, or miss. Little hit or miss. I, I'm not so savvy on movies either. <laughs> but uh, well, we complete each other. Yes, I guess so. But uh, yeah, the NATO straps. Uh, I I have several. Mm. Uh, what do you know? What the uh, diameter is for no. your band? I uh, I have a bunch of NATO straps. Yeah. They're super cheap too. We can just look. Yeah, well, even we'll we'll do a little watch uh, show and tell after this episode. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, yeah, we figure can figure it out. But yeah, I have a caliper. Oh, if it's not here, I have a caliper and everything. Yeah, I got a but, caliper at home for okay. nerdy things. Yeah, I have. Things, but, I have um, boxes of straps because you can you get know. the a box of them of like five okay. for like seven dollars on on Amazon. Even okay. the expensive ones are like twenty bucks. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I know you can, so. there's a lot of stuff you can get now. Um, and it looks a lot better than just randomly piece together things from your high school days or my high school days anyway. Right. I don't know about your high school days. Yeah, I didn't right. know you then, but yeah. I finally, Sarah got so mad at me or she, uh, not mad, but I wear just a lot of t-shirts all the time, you know? Sure. And, uh, whatever they're comfortable, who cares? But she bought me all these, uh, collared button downs. And, uh, I don't know, just a month or two ago, she was like, you always just wear those t-shirts and you never wear these nice shirts I got you. And, uh, it's like, well, I work from home. I never have my camera on on my laptop. Right. So who cares what I wear? Uh, so in New York, I wore all of all of my shirts like this. Um, and I figured oh, I'll wear them this weekend too. So I'm wearing one of them now. It's the Snap, so it's easy to yep. do the Jeff Goldblum. If I'm out and about, I wear a button-up shirt most days. Uh, I like the uh, Columbia professional fishing gear and professional hunting gear shirts because they roll up. Yeah. And you can turn well, them into a short sleeve and, and they have the holes in the back yeah a lot of the columbia shirts look really nice too and um you know they got the collars you know just kind of the floppy collars but uh they button up they look a lot nicer than a t-shirt and they they're so breathable that like they wick everything away from you they're like a performance shirt yep uh but it looks nice they are cooler temperature wise yes. than wearing a t-shirt yes. i uh wear them hiking they look nice enough to wear around town yep um yeah even my uh, I'm on uh, two bowling teams this year, and they're both uh, highly organized scratch teams. Let's call it that. Okay. And we have button-up shirts that yeah. are logoed. One yeah. of them has a has two shirts. They they have you know okay. a t-shirt, and then they have like a, a nicer shirt, like the home and away uniforms. You're playing on your home lane. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the... something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But. Uh, no, once from one year and then <laughs> no, there, just, there. That, that the particular place had t-shirts already and then uh the owner she wanted to uh get us nice shirts. Yeah. So but I wear a pocket t-shirt yeah. at, at at home and stuff, as yeah. you can see. I actually felt like a scrub because I was like, Oh, I'm gonna do work this morning before you showed up, which I did, obviously. Yeah. I was like when I, yeah, I'm just I not figured gonna change. I was like, oh, I'm going to shoot. So I'm like, I picked out, I'm like, I'll wear this one for shooting because it's, you know, a little more olive, olive toned, you know, looks like it could be, you know, like an Australian, you know, tour yeah. guide or bush, bush yeah. guide or whatever they call them. Yeah. yeah. Um, whatever. Yeah. That's your, uh, cat, cat Dundee or whatever. Yeah. yeah crocodile <laughs> Dundee. 
I don't know. There's no crocodiles here, hopefully. No, hopefully not. Well, they wouldn't White last very long. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. Yeah, all good. You can get you can find a lot of nice things for really affordable, I think. Or a lot of things that, you know, just up your game, whether it's like style or you're right, anything really. Well, yeah, the PFG shirts, the Columbia's, if you get them for the right time of year, you can get them for a very good price usually. Yeah. And uh, that's, of course, I don't buy anything full price. Yeah. You can find uh, a lot of, I don't wear them so much anymore now, but um, ties, you can find a lot of really sharp looking ties yes. for dirt cheap. Like at JCPenney, they used to have like the $5 per tie rack or mm-hmm. something, you know, and you go out and they were all just uh, strewn about. So you'd have to kind of like sift through them. Yep. You know, but it's almost like the $5 DVD bin at Walmart or whatever you, right. you dig through, but you know, you might find that, that really sharp looking tie or whatever. So I have a bunch of Jerry Garcia ties and Those they are, cool. are, I get compliments cool. from guys Yeah, and I got a few of them uh, I found for a, different events that I used to go to. Yeah, but. I found a really sharp looking uh, white tie mm. and it's, it's all white. It's pure white. And then it's got uh, polka dots, but the polka dots are like the holographic, like whatever. So in the light, oh. they kind of like shine a different hue. That's pretty cool. So yeah. it's not, it's not overly loud. They're very, very subtle. So you have to be fairly close to see that they've got the little, like, I don't know, holographic. It's not really holographic, but, um, what would you call it? What's that? When, when you look at something or if you're looking through like a sheet of cellophane or something and you've got like the different purples and greens kind of sure. Like transparent. Like kind of, yeah. Or, I don't know what it is. I don't know. What the, a foil. Yes, something like that. So. Like a fishing lure. Yep. These uh, we're about halfway through. Yeah, I would say so. I, you know what, we're you, pretty, pretty dang even here. We're pretty even. Uh, um, you burned off a I lot think. of your tip, I think, when you relit. I know. I, I lit the whole thing, and then it was the left half or top half was lit, and the other half wasn't, which was really weird. Like I've never had it. It was like perfectly down the middle. Yeah. So I don't know if like one half was like. A little damper. Yeah. I'm going to make a callback. You didn't rotate your cigar, bro. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. When I smoke, I uh, smoke with one of my buddies. Um, I don't know if he listens to this podcast or not, but shout out to Willie uh, if he does. Uh, but he was the one, and we smoked the Hex Press together. Uh-huh. And a uh, really good friend. But it's always like we have a cigar podcast. And I smoke cigars around other people who smoke cigars but don't have a podcast. And they're always like, you have a cigar podcast and you're smoking like a moron? And it's like, yeah, I just, you know, I do it for fun. And, right, you know, nobody ever taught me how to smoke a cigar. I've just kind of learned what I've learned. And what I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And so, you know, and I always tell everybody, they're like, well, you have a cigar podcast. Why aren't you doing this? I'm like, dude, listen to this. My co-host, Mike was telling me about freezing cigars to get the weevil beetles out or something, you know? And, like, I never knew that. Like, that's something you don't know. And I've never gone online and researched, like, how to smoke a cigar or anything like that. I just kind of picked it up in college or after college. And I was smoking, like, acids and, like, flavored, not, like, not the Swisher Sweets. But, you mm-hmm. know, like, you'd go and just, oh, this is a cheap one. Oh, acid. That sounds like a badass name. Let's smoke that. Like, it sounds like acid, you know? Like, just whatever young kids do. Yeah, and they have motorcycles on them and shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, baby boomer cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just you, you learn into it. And I think a lot of these hobbies, whether it's bowling or trap shooting or wearing ties or cigar smoking or drinking scotch or building Legos, you know, whatever it is. Like a lot of them are too 
snobby. Yes. You know, and so I've heard I've heard somebody because uh, like book people who read books can be really snobby. Like, oh my god, you haven't read uh, Pride and Prejudice? Well, don't. It's boring. It's lame. Uh, sorry, my one friend who likes that book. I like um, that book. I like all the Jane Austen novels, and I've read them all. Well, sorry, I think that they're great. Sorry, my two friends that like that book. Um, I do actually like. I do like I, Jane you know Austen. I, so, so the story about Pride and Prejudice for me is I really wanted to read the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but I thought well, I better read the original one first. Sure. And it was just boring. And you know, maybe I wasn't in the right mindset because I was like excited, jacked out about the zombies, like in the like the remake or whatever. But I understand that that was all marketing and they just wanted me to like read the zombie one and be like, hey, that's cool. But I never read the zombie one because I hated the first one so much. It was just boring. Um, You don't have to like it. But what I heard about people who read books is a lot of times they'll be like, oh, my God, you haven't read Pride and Prejudice. But instead of saying that, if you want to and I don't want to go full on like, let's all be inclusive. But why not? You know, instead of saying you haven't read that, say, well, you're going to really enjoy that when you do. Yep. Instead of saying, instead of trying to shame them for not having or have read that. Right. Encourage them to do so, but in a non-threatening thing. And it's the same thing with like parents, right? They always guilt you or try to guilt you, even if they're not actively trying to like, oh, well, it'd be really nice to see you for dinner or something, whatever, whatever it is they do. But they always kind of say it in that way where you kind of feel obligated to do it. And you can, you can use different words, you know, you can do it like, Hey, it'd be great to see you for dinner if you got time. Yep. Boom. You take half of the stress out of it just just with that. I try not to do that with bowling because uh, a lot of uh, newer bowlers will try to come up and talk to me and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And I don't like bowling against new bowlers uh, particularly. Uh, and I get sour sometimes. I'm just tired of it. But at the you same time, I know, sour? I know, right? I know. And I, 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 I need to work on it more, but I really try to work on... If they're showing interest in the game and they get their own stuff and they're showing up, I have to get a better attitude about yeah. trying to talk it's to them tough. when they ask me questions. If they're asking me questions, I actually usually get pretty positive. I'm like, oh, they're interested. You know, that's yes. cool. Yeah. You know, um, but. And that's not to say that every novice or every every new person to the sport or hobby has the right attitude coming in either. You know, they think, oh, here's right. an old old crotchety person that's been doing it for a long time or here's somebody who, you know, and they come in and they want to like prove themselves or whatever. And that, you know, I don't think that's the right attitude either. Right. You know, for, for a new person, you know, and so like smoking cigars, I don't have a big ego about smoking cigars. Mm -hmm. Yes. We've got a cigar podcast, uh, but we went to the, well, let's be honest. Our cigar podcast is mostly so we can bullshit once a week. Whatever the reasoning is, it's fine. Um, it's all good. You know, but, uh, and it was funny, Dave was asking, like, what we hope to get out of the podcast. It's like, I just want to smoke. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, but, you know, we went to this humidor, uh, my buddy Willie and I, and, um, you know, he's talking to the guy. And I'm like, I would never talk to the guy. But I'm an introvert. Like, I would just, like, don't talk to me. I just, I want to look at the sticks, you know? Yep. But then he's talking like, okay, this one, you know, initially it's got like this, like florally, and then it shifts to this and that, and like the mouthfeel, and like, he's going on like full on like wine sommelier um, on all these things. And that's how Willie picked this Hexpress, which I never would have picked because I never would have talked to the guy uh, to know it. And so I've got a bad attitude sometimes too, and I got to work on that. Right. Um, but 
you know, sometimes it's just enough to know that you don't know. And I wasn't trying, I didn't try and like cut this guy off and like talk over him because I could tell he knew more than I did. Right. You know, um, but I never would have talked to him and that's my fault. Like I should have probably talked to people that know more than I do about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you say, a lot of times when I get like, especially with bowling, cause I do it a lot. I talk with new people. People want advice. They don't quite understand how technical it is. You know, there's a lot yeah. of technology involved in modern bowling nowadays. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and even, um, it, 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 it's just like, it frustrates me because they don't do any research on their own. I go online yeah. and watch a few videos for God's sakes. I'm not saying you need to, uh, buy Earl Anthony's book. All right. Yeah. But, uh, you should at least have an idea of what you're getting into if you're trying to like be seriously into this as a hobby. Yeah. Which is you don't have to be. I mean, uh it takes all kinds to make uh an industry. Uh but uh Well, every bowler is perpetuating bowling. Mm-hmm. Even if you're just going as a family and, you know, right. whatever. You're not you're not buying your own balls, but you're bowling. You're still showing support for the bowling alley. You're still out there. You're having fun. You're enjoying it, hopefully. Well, it's a, it's a well-known fact in the industry that league bowlers keep the alleys open. Mm. The open bowlers is where they make profit. So you go to a smaller league, uh, a smaller house, like during COVID, the smaller houses that have more leagues mm. did much better yeah. than the bigger houses that have more a more entertainment center styles. Yeah. Like the Moonlight or the Midnight Bowling and the Disco Bowling and the... E, e, the yeah. If you're relying on open bowling and birthday parties, yeah, then you, they did a lot worse off. Uh, yeah. But the smaller houses, you know, if you have a eight-lane house that has wood lanes, but you're putting out sports shots and you have competitive leagues and shit... They did well because all those guys were there. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> they're showing up. They're not going to not bowl. Yeah. Period. One, uh, even uh, technology aside, because um, for one of my birthdays, my dad got me uh, like a coupon or whatever to go to the bowling alley in town here and get a ball. Yeah. And uh, I think take two or three, I don't know, maybe up to five uh, lessons. And so it was as a kid, I was in a bowling, bowling kids league. And, um, I think the highest I ever scored was like 210 as a, as a child. And, but the child one is, <clears throat> uh, the way that I was taught to bowl is it's like a straight approach, you know, right. And you, and you start from the, not the furthest back set of dots, but the next set of dots up. I'm sure there's a technical name for the for the different sets of dots. Like sure. The, the, the ladies' tees, basically, if it were golf. Um, and then go from there. But, of course, now I'm 6'6", six, six, so I can't start from there anymore uh, to get a full good thing. And then they were teaching me the uh, not the straight straight throw, but to put some spin on it, right? And you, like, you know, the way you have to do your hand. And so it gets very technical, even with, like, the form, yeah, absolutely. Bowling. Like if you want to get more into it. And I remember I had to like, he taught me all this stuff and like I had to, I wrote it all down and I keep it in my bowling bag and I haven't gone bowling for even longer than I haven't shot trap. So we got it because we tried to go bowling that one night and uh, we told the story, but the lanes were all full and then we just kind of like went home because it was late um, and we're old. But basically, yes, that's, pretty much. that's the, more or less. the moral of the story. And, um, you know, 
So if I were to get back into bowling and bowling with my ball, because it's got a different core in it than the house balls do. Yes. So I have to, I pretty much have to throw it that curved way or that way that I was taught how to throw it. You can throw it straight. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Mike just like grimaced a little bit when he's like, you can throw it straight. Well, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah uh, I bought her a bowling ball and hers has a core in it. Mm-hmm. Hers is a modern ball, you know? Yeah. She throws it straight. It will hook though at the end. Yeah. So I would like to, like, that would be something I would like to do because I have the shoes and the ball. And if I just did it, you have to do it enough. Just like shooting trap today. I think I missed every single, every single pigeon. My first go round, but then you know, by the third go round for sure. Like the second go round, I hit a couple, and then by the third go round, I was finally feeling back into the swing of it. Yep. You know, because there's just enough stuff. You know, it's kind of like riding a bicycle, but you know, if you haven't ridden a bicycle for 20 years, you hop back on it, you can balance, but you're not taking corners at 25 miles an hour. You know, you're you're not doing some of the stuff that you used to do as a kid. Right. Um, but it'd be fun to go bowling and get some pointers and like relearn how to throw the modern way, I guess. Yep. But, um, yeah, and I bowl the modern. Well, it's not even modern style. No, a lot of the younger guys who want to play the power game are throwing two handed. That wasn't a thing when I started learning how to bowl. There wasn't even Raptor resin bowling balls yet, and uh, I developed like uh, the the modern power game for the '90s and early 2000s, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's very technical. Yeah. Very. Te- There's a reason why they don't do it anymore. Yeah. It takes a long time mm-hmm. to get good at it. A really long time. Way longer than the two-handed. Two-handed bowling, you can get almost immediate success. You can get up to 170 average two-handed bowling pretty quick with modern equipment. Okay. But if you're going to do one-handed and you're going to actually have the proper rolling release, it takes... You have to lift weights... To be able to be strong enough okay. to let it coil off your hand and not injure yourself. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, t- I literally was lifting weights so I could get better at bowling. <laughs> and that's like some of the positions of the Kama Sutra, too, is you have to do some weights, some cock push-ups, yep. uh, things like that. Well, you only need to do one cock push-up. That's true. Uh, you only need to do one. But, uh, yeah, it's always interesting. Yeah. And then there's different, you know, different approaches, too. Not that this is a bowling podcast. No, uh, but we're going to talk about it's it a little bit. We're interested you know, in. my, my dad started bowling in the seventies, uh, so his release is totally different than mine. He's got a totally different approach, oh. and he still tries to teach people to lift. You know, okay. but that's what you did when it was rubber, because yes. he wasn't even bowling in a plastic era. Plastic mm. balls didn't come out until the mid seventies. So, sure. uh, in order to get roll on the ball, they would pinch with their fingers and try to pull the ball up as they released it. Oh, okay, uh, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do. Uh, yeah, mo- nowadays, with, no, now, with modern, with modern equipment, you don't want to do that. You want to throw it like a spiral, okay. except you're not doing well, this. Well, you're not doing the you're overhand doing football this. spiral. You're doing, yeah, you're doing underhanded hand, spiral. Yeah. And uh, and it's crazy to think, well, just for me, you know, bowling as a kid with the straight approach and then learning the kind of like the hook shot or the, you know, curve, I don't know what you would call it. Um, where hook, you kind of like you let it, you kind of let it go off your hand and kind of you know, but it puts a spin on it. So it yeah. puts a spin on it, and it's crazy how accurate you can be with the spin. Like you wouldn't like if you're just thinking about things. Is straight going to be more accurate than spinning? Well, you know, logically, maybe. But you know, hunting rifles they have rifled barrels to put more spin on the 
on the bullet so that it, the wind affects it less and the yep. external forces affect it less. And just like a football or even a baseball, it spins through the air. So like intuitively, you might think something going straight is better, but physics basically fucks life up for everybody. Right. Um, but if you understand it or you, you just see it happen in practice, then, you, you know, you're a believer. A lot of two-handers don't put their thumb in, but when they shoot spares, they put their thumb in and they one-hand it okay. because it's a lot more accurate to do with one hand Yes, than it has to do with two. Uh, but you have so much more power. Mm-hmm. Even my rev rate, I have a somewhere like I have a 480 to 500 uh, rev rate, which is really high for a one-handed bowler. Yep, especially in amateur. Uh, but a two-hander can get six all day long. Yeah, uh, my rev rate's higher than any of the two-handers that bowl in this area, but one. Yeah, and uh, he bowled in college, so he's he's a very good bowler. Yeah, but been doing it a long time. Yeah, he's been doing it. Yeah, he's been bowling since he was a child. And we're buddies. We bowl together. Mm-hmm. We he we bowled on the state uh, the state winning team there. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he's really good. And then his brother in law, I'm friends with him. Yeah. And uh, Will is his name. He's completely against two handed bowling. He thinks it should be banned. Okay. Yeah, and then yeah, so no, it takes all types. Yeah, it takes all types, and there's totally different attitudes. I know that uh, I bowled with a guy, and he's unfortunately passed away now, but. Uh, Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. We will, we will have that later. Right now. Right now. Right now. We're going to eat on the podcast. Uh-oh. You are. Because I didn't know you were recording. That's yes. all right. And I made yeah. you lunch. Well, thank it's, you. It's Sarah's debut on the podcast. It is. And uh, we have lunch, and that's amazing, and thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I love you, baby. Love you, too. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I uh, bowled tournaments with a guy. And uh, who's passed on now, unfortunately. But uh, we were in the mode there for a while that they should even get rid of modern bowling equipment and we should put a cap on it and just have like older technology that doesn't hook automatically. Like a retro league. Like, a, well, like, yeah, they, they should get rid of all this modern stuff where the ball hooks by itself because uh, we both had a quote unquote modern release and I can make a ball hook. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I trained, quote unquote, trained. To make a ball hook. Yes. Uh, so I don't need the, the modern stuff. Even though I use it, obviously. Who wouldn't? <laughs> no, that's the point. Is like, you know, even with, um, I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's similar to board games or not, but I do a lot of board games. And it's kind of the same thing. If you have newer, newer uh, people that are new to modern board gaming, meaning not Monopoly or Risk. Um, but there's even older games than that that are out there that are a lot of fun. And you can yeah. have a lot of fun with an older game. You can have a lot of fun with a game that's not crazy complex. You're not spending eight hours trying to play this game, right? You can play a game in 45 minutes, half an hour. It could be fun. And if you're playing with newer newer players, you know, you have to start where they're at. You can't start where you're at. You have to start where they're at. Right. And uh, and part of it is you want to, you want to encourage them to in, continue to enjoy the hobby, whatever the hobby may lead them into. And so some people, I'm sure in bowling, get super into the modern. I need the latest technology right now, and I need it yesterday. And I, you know, I need the newest shoes, and I need the newest everything. And then there's some people that are like, you know what, my style fits this better, and I would rather do this. And I, you know, if you don't do the two hand bowling, but you've got good results with your one hand style, well, why go to two hand? You know, I, I think the two handed bowling is getting a lot of people into it because they see on Fox, they'll see. You know, the Jason Belmonte throw the big hook 
and they're getting into it. And that's good uh, for bowling as an industry. But I, I, I uh, was talking with a guy this week, and it's his first year, and he's already got all the major equipment, like big, expensive equipment, you know, three, $400 bowling balls. He throws a huge hook, and he throws it two-handed, mm-hmm. and he fucking sucks. He can't make a spare because he, he's throwing the big hook. He can get strikes, yep. but he never learned the accuracy to be able to make a spare, and he never will. Most likely, mm-hmm. never will, because of the two-handed bowling and the big hook. He'll never be able to pick up splits. He'll never be able to shoot corner pins mm-hmm. ever. Uh, he could, but he'd have to put in a lot more effort than I'm guessing he's going to be willing to do. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's impressive. And I was the same way when I was like 14. Yeah, you know, I wanted to throw the big hook. Well, sometimes um, I mean, sometimes you get those people that are old. And they get like so entrenched in their ways, they won't learn how to text. Right. They won't won't learn how to Google something for themselves. Right. They won't learn self reliance in the technical age. In, That's true. Uh, and then you've got people that I would hope I fall into this second category, where the older you get, you realize I don't know how to do this. I better learn, or I can't do this. So I better learn how to overcome that shortcoming of myself, right? Like I'm, I don't know. I don't, I don't lift weights. I don't foresee myself lifting weights to do crazy bowling shots, mm-hmm. right? So I need a style that fits my preferences or my physicality, right? Or whatever, you know, I mean, there's ways to overcome anything, especially now with all the technology that we have, you can find something that works for you, regardless of it's bowling or knitting or anything. You can find a style or, you know, your own thing, but you have to be open to learning a new way of doing it if you want to take whatever that is to the next level, too. Oh, sure. I mean, I was a lot less into spear shooting when I was a teenager than I am now. Um, just, you know, my that's my little path in life, I guess. But I was forced to shoot spares a lot when I was a kid, so... That was organized. I was trained because you. I was. I was strikes or what? I was trained and I had organized practices. Yes, and uh, I was forced to shoot spares. Forced is a very strong term, but we had. I mean, fun. Yeah, I. I'll I'll go in and practice, and all I will bring is a plastic spare ball and throw at spares, throw at corner pins, basically. So uh, with bowling, uh, maybe here's a question because you've got a good. You've got some good balls. Yes, I have a collection. Uh, but your bowling balls are great too. And, yes, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, do you you bring more than one ball when you go bowling? Depends on what I'm doing. Okay. So I went bowling Wednesday summer league, right? Mm-hmm. And I brought one ball. Okay. One ball. That's a new ball that I haven't really thrown a whole lot. And I was trying to get more of a feel for it for the season. But if you're if you're in like a tournament, you bring multiple balls, yes. and then you throw one ball for a certain. Circumstance or situation? Yes. Okay. You have to adapt to the lane pattern. So typically, let's say I bring six. Six is a pretty much a number that I would bring. Six or seven. Six or seven balls. Yeah. Bowling balls. Okay. Yeah. If That's two, like mind-boggling to me because I normally just go open bowl and grab one off the rack there. But Right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'd bring – I most of the time I bring seven. Okay. I'll bring two threes, two, two three-ball bags, and a uh, backpack. Okay. Uh, one will be a spare ball, plastic. Uh, if I'm going for score, which obviously I would be, and then uh, I'll bring 
depending on the lanes, you know, if I know that I'm bowling at a Woodhouse, I'll bring a set. You know, I have, I have three sets of six bowling balls plus a spare ball that I own. Okay. Now, there's overlap between the ones I bring because the medium-sized houses with plastic usually have medium oil patterns. The larger houses usually have heavier patterns, and the smaller houses will typically have less volume. For the most part, it all depends. Uh, but usually that's the way it goes. So if I'm going to an alley and I know the size, I have some insight, I'll bring a set of six that I think is going to be good. And that'll be, you know, a strong early, a strong late, which means that it hooks earlier okay, and it hooks later. But they're very strong overall. The covers absorb a lot of oil. Okay. They're very aggressive. Two mediums and uh, a week and a urethane, mm-hmm. usually. Uh, I always bring a urethane with me no matter what. Uh, so I always – two balls pretty much go with me everywhere I go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I bring a plastic spare ball and I bring uh, – my urethane of choice right now happens to be a fast pitch, storm fast pitch is what it's called. Okay. Uh, and I can use that pretty much anywhere. That That's like a backup. That's like the ball if I'm lost – I can grab that. And I know that I can make it go strike. Okay. I, I know I can I can strike with that ball pretty much anywhere. Uh, and I use it a lot. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, the USB USB-C just changed the rule that where you're not allowed to bowl major tournaments anymore with a ball more than two years old. Oh. So I'm going to have to try to find a new one because it'll be two years here this year, I think. I think it's a 2020 ball. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that's just the way... The way things are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose to keep the playing field as even as possible. Uh, Maybe. Or to keep the ball manufacturers in business, one of the two. uh, It's a little bit of that, I think. And then uh, there's a lot of evidence that shows that the modern urethane, specifically the purple hammer, as they age, they get softer. And they get under the legal hardness level. Okay. Because they have a minimum hardness that a bowling ball has to be. Uh and there's some evidence that shows that after about two years, they all the the they start to get too soft. Okay. Uh, and they banned plugged bowling balls, which screws a lot of people over because I like to re-drill. And uh, yeah, there's different little tweaks like that. That doesn't really affect most of my bowling, at least. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see how the state level tournaments go, and you know, different tournament stuff. Yeah, I suppose if you're bowling for fun, and if you're proficient in the equipment, and and your preferences on on balls and and holes and covers and cores, you know, you've got your own. Like, th- if I could, if I could perform at at tournaments with this setup, this would be my preferred setup. Right. But because I'm in a tournament, I have to change, alter my setup. To you have to fix the rules. The rules. Yeah. You know? the rules. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's kind of neat too, where it's like, if you know enough, you know, you know enough how to make yourself successful in the tournaments, maybe got a different setup that you would personally just bowl with all the time. Right. Yeah. And they, they, you know, they, they post the rules so you can, you know, if you're going to the national tournament or something, you can adjust. My, uh, strong equipment is going to be a problem because I don't throw it a lot. I, I throw pretty much a medium and weak equipment everywhere. Uh, so my strong equipment, I never use it. I only, I have one bowling ball. That I have less than a dozen games on for sure. I might even have less than six games on it uh, because I never, I never have an opportunity to use it really. <laughs> so when you say strong and weak, is that like velocity down the lane? Or? No, 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 no. So as the ball goes lengthwise like this, a stronger ball will start to try to hook 
earlier, it oh, digs okay. through the oil better oh, okay. and gets into the surface and it starts to get into the hook phase earlier. Okay. Because you have a skid, you have the hook, and you have a roll, right? There's three okay. phases. Got it. And the stronger balls will get have a shorter skid phase. Hmm. Uh, it's not necessarily left to right. That's deceptive. It's more front to back. Okay. Uh, but I don't really use... I use a lot of urethane and... Uh, and I use a lot of medium and weaker equipment. So, I, uh, just because of the area. Up, up up north, there's not a lot of oil volume unless you hit Duluth. Uh, there's not a lot of oil volume. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah, there's just not. They, they don't. They, they want to save money. The more oil you put on, obviously. If you can, yeah. if you can cut a couple mils off your overall volume per lane, over that length of a year, you're going to save a lot of money. Yeah. Um, would you have an interest in uh, doing like a down and dirty hmm. bowling? Uh, just you and me, maybe the Sarahs. Uh, so there's a lane in my hometown in Wisconsin. Ah, uh, the only selling point outside of that they have some bowling lanes is you can get a pitcher of New Glarus for like three or four bucks. Yes, I would do that. Okay, and I think we just go there. We buy a bunch of pitchers and we just use house balls. Okay. We use I can bring my shoes, right? We use Mike's balls. From his I can home. bring my shoes, right? I, I don't really care if you want to bring your own ball. Um, I'm not trying to hamstring you. I just was like, hey, it'd be fun to, you know. I, I'll bring a, I'll, drink some new glares. I'll, I'll bring a spare ball, and, a plastic um, spare ball. That's fine. Whatever. I mean, whatever. You I want just don't want to hurt my fucking hand. No, that's fine. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know, if we just went even, like, toe to toe, it might be a fun little challenge. Like, here's some backwoods bowling alley that probably might not have ever heard of oil. I don't know. They have to to preserve the lane. They have to put it on. A lot of these alleys... You say they have to, but... So there is like this thing where (laughs) a lot of these smaller houses especially, they won't put oil on and they just end up damaging the lane. Yeah. It's so dumb. You have to have that on there to like protect the surface from these balls. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying they do, but uh, I don't... Well, they understand. They just don't care. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that'd be fun, mostly just because it would be a good good way to drink some real cheap nuclears. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can only get in Wisconsin. They don't distribute outside of Wisconsin. Right. Some of their beers are really good. Oh, yeah. I don't really I mean, like... The Spotted Cow is fine. It's not my go-to of theirs. It's not better than fine. It's not better than fine. It is okay. It's fine. It's fine. I have a friend... Uh, well, my fine is probably you're okay. I don't know. Yeah. I have you a know, friend like, who's originally from Wisconsin, and he lives out west. Yeah. And... Uh, he loves spotted cow because he doesn't get it very often. Yep. And it's like so every time I meet I meet this this character, I try to bring him some uh, some spotted cow, and it's always you know yeah the best thing ever. Spotted cow is fine uh, if you're gonna drink because <clears throat> it's just a, it's like it's the introductory beer, right? If you know a microbrewery, that a lot of times they make an introductory beer that is for those people who like the Coors Light and the Bush Light, <clears throat> okay? And they and that's their equivalent. Yes. And it is to get the broadest population of beer drinkers into their establishment to find something that they will find tasty. Honeyweiss. Honeyweiss is the same thing. Honeyweiss is, it's good, uh, but it's no better than. It's fine. Yeah. It's no better than good. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's what it's meant for. And if you're a beer drinker and you know what your flavor preferences are, is it worth trying a spotted cow? Yes. If you never had one, try it. That's their starting point. That's their flagship. That's their, you know, what they're right. known for. So give it a go. 
it, it spotted cow is like somebody that has a whole fridge full of Coors Light. Exactly. They'll have a spotted cow for their foo-foo friends. That's why it's, but that's why it's there. Right. You know, it serves like, that function just perfectly like uh, fine. the local brewery here, they've got a lager that's mm-hmm. for people that drink Coors or even Natty or whatever. They're for the kind of the hunters, the hillbillies, the cabin people. Um, that's what it's for. Right. But they also have IPAs and stouts and other things. And the same with uh, New Glarus is that like their two women is really good. Yeah. Um, and they've got a lot of other ones though. The roadkill is really good. Um, just a ton of really good ones, but they have an introductory one to get people in the door and they've right. got other beers for more serious beer drinkers. Right. How did that pair with the Stella? This paired really well with the Stella. Uh, this cigar, uh, and it actually paired really well with the food. My, my plate is empty, and Mike hasn't touched his. Um, and I've never actually smoked while eating before, so that was... Uh, I, I'm not a fan. That's why I'm I, not... <clears throat> I didn't know if I was, but I was really hungry, because normally Mike uh, makes me two-fist it with the drinks, and today we're only doing the one, uh, one fist, and uh, and then he, he won't feed me. And um, <laughs> so I would... <laughs> I just don't think about it. I haven't ate anything today at all. Yeah, so I would, um, <laughs> if you're to be a guest, and I'm sorry, Dave, but if you're going to be a guest on the show, I highly recommend coming to Mike's Smoking Studio when Sarah is not working <laughs> because apparently she feeds you. Yes, so, yes. Uh, that was great. That was, and it was really tasty. Um, very excited. Yes. This has been a very good day. Yeah, it has been. It has been a good day. I did my lamp build yesterday. I rebuilt the lamp. My uh, my wonderful spouse is getting into antiques, and she wants to do some remodeling, so uh, a refashioning antiques, more of a restoring to original condition, and that's her goal. But uh, better than original condition, I would say, because what what you do with the lamp is similar to what uh, my Sarah and I did with a lamp that we found. It had yeah. a huge, I can't remember what the name of it was. It was some like huge like halogen bulb base. You can still buy the bulbs, but they're terribly dangerous. Yes. And so we actually, we tore it apart. We pulled the wire out. We pour, uh, pulled the socket out. We bought a lamp kit and we had to buy a plumbing fixture to attach the modern fixture to the old, I don't know how old it is, but the old like brass um, yep. stem. And uh, now we have an LED bulb in there. It's super safe and it works and it's great. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I don't know if it's like reconditioning or what you would call it, but it's just refurbishing. not necessarily yeah. like restoring to original because a lot of the older bulbs weren't safe. And well, yeah, that wiring on that lamp that you saw today, the bottom light would flicker because the lugs on the original socket were corroded and they just put them on there straight. Mm-hmm. I put spades, yeah, you know, I crimped it on there and, uh, it's actually going to be safe. Everything's yes. all listed, you know. <laughs> so. There's a lot of things uh, like desks and dressers and tables. Well, the dresser that we yes. hauled in today yeah. is. Uh, you can restore it and you can restore it to original condition. Yes. Uh, but with like lamps and things, you want to kind of refurbish where it's yes. bringing it up to modern standards, keeping the original uh, look or feel of it but making it safe. Yes. And I like that. And a lot of the old uh, antique furniture, if it's in good condition, all, all you got to do really is rub linseed oil on it. Yeah. And uh, pre-finish the outside, which we have a huge shop. 
to do that in here. So And you have a lot of pieces out there to do that too. Oh my god, yeah. We have one that's uh actually was sold here in town. Okay. At an old I uh, still got the stamps even of the store that sold it. Oh cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And we got it for real cheap, like 130 bucks. Okay. For a Hoosier table, I guess. Okay. A Hoosier. I I would call it Hoosier. Yes. Sarah calls it Hoosier. I'm like, ah, that's Hoosier to me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, an old Hoosier cabinet. It's mm-hmm. really cool, but they painted it, yeah, of course, and yeah. you know, blah blah blah. Well, it's like our house. We bought our house, and um, I don't know what was in there before, but the uh, the bank owned it, and so they you know refurbed or redid everything in there, and so they um, just put carpet. That was a fucking drug house because he had, had the doors kicked in. We yeah, had to repair we had the that. Doors kicked in, and actually, we did uh, we did National Night Out. We co-hosted National Night Out uh, with our buddy Dave, who was a guest on the show, um, and. The cops came, well, because like you block off the the block, right? So you sure. put um, you put the barricades up, or the little like I don't know, fake saw horses up with the orange stripes. Um, but then the police come and they visit each one, and you can request them to stop by and you know meet the meet the people and stuff. And they came by, and <clears throat> and so we were talking to them, and I was trying to ask them, you know, hey, you know, any crazy stories from this house? And uh, they didn't really know, but one of the other neighbors was like, oh yeah, man, I watched him. I watched him kick that door in. And I'm like, perfect, great, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah, so, and I could tell because I um, remember we ran extra wood and screws and yeah, stuff yeah. and glued it all in. And- yeah, but they uh, but they put carpet over this the hardwood floor, so we know that we've got beautiful hardwood. So when our daughter is you know old enough to where she's not destroying everything. Uh, we can we pull up the carpet, you know, refinish the hardwood floors, and it's going to be a completely different space in there. But uh, it's the same with, you know, sometimes people wallpaper over, like, just beautiful things or, uh, you know, carpet. And my brother bought his house, and, and the person had put uh, carpet over all the hardwood and in the bathroom. Oh, really? And, like, how gross is that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Like, even the people, and unless you have one, I don't, I don't think you do, but the, they sell those things at, like, the... Uh, the big box stores and even the smaller ones, uh, the little, uh, cause you can get like the padded, the cushioned, uh, toilet seat covers, but they also sell the one that you're supposed to slide around the base of it. Right. Yes. You've seen those. And like, that's the grossest thing ever too. We have one in the guest bathroom. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not nice. No, I'm not a think. fan, but a you fan know, women look at stuff cause it all looks nice and matches. And you know what? I'm more of a fan of it now, uh, after this meal. Uh, that was delivered to me. So, <laughs> I Actually, could, I uh, be converted. The guest room toilet, I just rebuilt the whole thing. Okay. Every, all the parts are original now. Okay. So, uh, are original, are new now. Yes. So, it's uh, it's actually working better than ever. That's a Perfect. pain in the butt. I'm not a I'm oh not a plumber. God. I'm not a plumber by trade, and it was like a, yeah. I just uh, I think I'm gonna have to do something else because in our upstairs toilet. It started, uh, after we moved in, it started, like, refilling all the time, like, every hour or less. Yeah. And so, it was, like, the flapper valve. And so, yeah. I had to go and replace the flapper valve, which is you have to remove the whole water tank and remove this giant PVC washer nut thing. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I got the toilet all dis- disassembled. And I'm like, I don't have a wrench big enough for this giant nut. And I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to run back to the store because it's our it's our toilet that we use, you know. And uh, but a quick Google search was, hey, you got an oil filter wrench? Fits it. So I went out, grabbed my oil filter wrench out of my trunk, and it fi- fixed it. But now it's starting to refill again. I've noticed it like 
cue the refill sure while i'm gone and it takes too long to hold down to flush and there was like a set you could you could like set the flapper valve like zero to ten but it didn't tell you which was fast or which was slow or what those two things meant and so we just set it at a five because we we're like it's got to be okay right um, but i don't think it was but i think to change it i have to take the whole tank off or like drain the water or something Do you know how you huge, set that i'm not a huge fan of that if you have a one in point six or a 1.3 gallon it's like zero and then if you have the old like five gallon or three three gallon or whatever the hell it is, okay. Then more the bigger the the bigger the amount of volume, the higher the setting, and then the smaller the amount of volume, the lower okay. the setting. So I changed mine. Mine was a one point six five gallon, uh, and I changed it to a one point two five through the new components that I okay. put in it. So it's a little more efficient. Now I have like a shit ton of empty space at the top of the tank, okay. but who cares? Yeah, you know. I don't know how any of that works, and I didn't know how it, it worked it either. It bothers me, and I don't want to tear it <laughs> apart again, but I might have to. You need to go get yourself a 460 channel lock. That's like the the big one. No, okay. the, the the big as they have one that they, they literally call the big as. Okay, it's a 480, and it's even bigger. But okay, I, I bought a 460 15 years ago. I've never yeah. needed anything bigger than that. Yeah, and I, I probably, hopefully, won't. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is like our tank is a little like wobbly on top, but I'm afraid to tighten the bolts any further because they're pretty tight as it is. So it's just an older, it's an older toilet is what it is sure. too, but I just, there was such a pain to do and it's not, I don't think it's working how it should. So I don't know. I don't want to do a whole new toilet, but I don't want to necessarily dig into it again. So, right. I don't want a new toilet either. Sarah hates that one in the guest bathroom because it's like, Baby blue. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I love it. <laughs> it's yeah. hilarious. I'm a big fan of the stupid stuff like that. Yeah. Probably shouldn't walk so, around a whole lot. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if we're done with the cigars, more or less. Then yeah, we're, we're pretty good. We still we're got plenty. Close. I actually like the, uh, so back to the cigar. Yeah. Uh, the first half was fine. It was all right. It was all right. The second half, I'm actually enjoying significantly more. Yeah. I think it had a nice flavor better. change. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why these are rated so high. I don't, uh, I don't know. Name, I don't, name recognition, probably. Yeah. I mean, and they are good. They're good. They're good. Uh, I think my favorite Rocky Patel so far has been the Connecticut Howitzer. Yes. Followed closely by the Fuma. Yeah, which is crazy that the Fuma would be that good. But it was good. It was a uh, nice smoking cigar, you know? Yeah, it was really good. Uh, I, I, I like to smoke cigars, and I like ones that are nice to smoke, I yes. guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's nice to try all these different ones mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, give feedback. And uh, then the more we smoke, the more we're able to kind of compare and contrast. Right. Um, within brands and even, you know, across brands. Um, I don't know if there's a different brand of a similar, you know, kind of like <clears throat> style and, and flavor profile if that was better than this. What would you recommend? Oof. I don't know. I like similar flavor profile. Partagas Black. Okay. I like the Partagas Blacks. Uh, I prefer a Rothschild or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the Robusto, it's hard to go wrong with the Robusto size. Yeah. Uh, that's like the most common one and it's very good. But I like Rothschild cigars too. Mm -hmm. uh, the bigger diameter ones, you know, bigger gauge. Yep. Uh, and uh, Robusto, I'm, I'm becoming a lot bigger fan of the Robusto for whatever reason. Yeah. There's a reason why it's the most common size. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, of course. It's consistent. It's yeah. consistent, I think. It is. It is. Um, you know, even with when we were doing the Moon Trance, you know, the uh, 
the torpedo version didn't have quite the same airflow, I felt. So, yeah, as the Robusto. You know, and the Rothschild in the Moon Trance is very good, too. That's okay. the first one I ever smoked. Okay. And uh, I like But I think, like, well. with, uh, with the Robustos, it's, it's somehow, it's somehow more consistent with, like, the manufacturing process. They, they just make something. a lot more of them, I'm guessing. You yeah. Know, I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, but, um, you know, it's popular size. If you like something different, do something different. Yeah. You know, but, and uh, different sizes are good for different things. You know, I mean, obviously, said. if you smoke with those big howitzers... And you're committed. Yep. You're committed to a uh, to a task. Yes. Well, it's only a task if it's fine or worse. If it's a good one, it's not really a task. It's an enjoyment, right. you know. Uh, right. But it, you're you're definitely there's a time commitment there as well. Right. I'm not going to smoke it on a fucking lawnmower either. No. <laughs> that is true. Right. I used to smoke uh, way back when uh, you could still smoke in the alleys. I used to smoke cigars when I bowled, and uh, I would smoke a big cigar then. Yeah, you know, because you'd light one, and it would last you the whole set. Yes, and uh, that wasn't too bad. That was good. Yeah, you could do a big one golfing too. I, you know, yeah. If you had a, especially if you had a stand to put it on. Yep. You they know? sell them at the uh, that tobacco grove shop. Oh really? They sell those golf clips. Oh, that's and cool. You clip them right on the golf cart, and then you can set your cigar on there. And uh, that's cool. Yeah, I know this is like late in the episode to start a new topic, but I get a kick out of uh, because there's a lot of golfers who bowl and a lot of bowlers who golf. Whatever you want to say, and I always get a kick out of the golfers who say golf is like some sort of extreme sport, yeah. and then they poo-poo on the idea that bowling is anything more than like a passing hobby. Uh, kind of like uh, they make it an equivalent to like darts. So it's even darts. If you throw a lot of darts, that becomes very sporting very quickly. Yeah, there's a league for anything. Um, and I played my first uh, first few games of pickleball. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. Okay. I like pickleball. And uh, yeah. I had never played before. I, I'm used to racquetball where you can, you know, like you've got that other, you've got three or four other walls that you mm-hmm. can bounce the ball off of. Yep. And uh, depending on how much power you put into it. Right, so you can bounce it off the back wall. You can bounce it off the front wall. You can bounce it off the side walls. Yep. Um, and so pickleball is kind of like racquetball meets tennis a little bit because you you know, but it's weird. They've got some really goofy fucking rules. Sure. Like the first, so like the first, you can't like be in the kitchen. Yes. Which is like fine. You know, there's always like in those racket sports, there's always a line you're not supposed to cross, like on the serve or the, the very beginning. But then, like, you have to let it bounce the first return or something, right? So, like, yes. you serve, and the first return has to bounce, but then after that, you can hit in the air. And so, it's very difficult for me to not just wallop on something that, like, was, you know, like, sometimes the ball's floating in. Yep. And you're like, oh, uh, this is going to be a good one. I can put it right where I want it. I can put the right amount of thing on it so the person across the way can't get it. But then it was the first return, and it had to, had to bounce first. And then it was their point. Or like, you know, whatever. The end of my server. Whoever was serving, it doesn't matter. But like that first return has to bounce. So that was very difficult for me to like remember. Yes. Like the kitchen thing is fine, I guess. But to remember that the first one, the first return has to bounce was like the biggest struggle for me. Interesting. In that game. And then um, there's some like 70-year-old woman who just like whooped everybody. I mean, oh, yeah. So I'm 36 and my brothers are three and six years younger than me. She just destroyed us. But she's played a lot of pickleball, right? You know, and that and and good for her. 
you know, I'm not a pickleball expert. That was my first time ever playing. Right. I was using like the, the court rackets. Right. From their, you know, court bin or whatever they had. I played a lot of racquetball when I was in college and uh, there was a, uh, one of my college friends who happened to be a woman yep. and I played against her all the time and I don't know if I beat her even one time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, uh, you know, it's like, holy shit. Yeah. She did shot put on the, on oh, the college okay. team and so yeah. she was pretty strong. And she could overpower me on, yeah. the, on the racquetball court. Well, and see, this seven-year-old <laughs> woman was not strong. I wouldn't call her strong. Sure. But smart, very, very smart. You know, and that's like she was playing to her strengths. Like she wasn't chasing, she wasn't chasing the ball anywhere. Sure. She knew based on how I was swinging or whatever, she could predict where it was going to go. Sure. Or she knew where she would shoot it if she were me. She had experience. Yeah. She had enough experience and she had the finesse. And she knew how to hit it based on her playing style. Right. So it was very difficult to try and, like, get a point on her. Yep. But it was fun. I, I like it. Uh, my my middle brother bought rackets for himself because he's got a bunch of pickleball courts right right going right, right next to where he lives. Oh, okay. So he's going to be able to go play a lot of pickleball. Um, I know there's a lot of pickleball down by me, I think. I have never, oh, I'm certain I've never looked there up, is. I'm looked, sure looked up to is. it, but um, it was fun. Um Good time, but that one rule was just every time. Not every time. I finally kind of came around to it, but I would still forget every right. once in a while. I also played, you know, like six or eight games. Um, but there was one other guy, and he was older too. I mean, everybody was older. We were the youngest ones there by probably, you know, 20, 30 years. And um, this one guy, and I was teamed with him twice, and both times there was a, uh, the ball was coming right at me. And I had this shot and, you know, I played racquetball before. So like once you kind of learn the, the the bounce level of the ball and the racket and the, you know, all that stuff is coming right at me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be able to get a good shot off of here. He would like dive in front of me to make a terrible shot. But he had played before. So he felt like he was trying to save the team. And I never would have made a good shot at a ball coming at me. So I was kind of like, okay, bud. Like, yeah, you know. like, whatever. I mean, everybody's more, you know, some people are more jacked up about things than other people. Um, but it was just like, don't steal, don't steal the easy shots from the newbie. You yeah. know, like you'll make a hard shot on your own. That's coming to you. Like, don't steal my shot. So this cigar is turning into a roach clip. Yep. For I me. see that. Yeah. It is turning into a roach clip. It is very good at the end. It's very good at the end. I think that's uh, probably it though. I think that's for it. For me. Yeah. Cause I'm getting really. Yeah, it's getting pretty toasty. The hot finger. Yeah. Mine, mine's shorter than yours. <laughs> it is. I have maybe an uh, inch and a quarter, which would be two and a half centimeters. Yeah, but yeah, maybe three centimeters. Yeah. Something like that. And it's starting to get hot, but it is actually getting... It's really good. It's better. It's better <laughs> yeah, at the end than it is at the, the beginning. End, yeah. So I think that'll be it yeah. for this episode. All right. Hope you guys have a uh, profitable week. Yes, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye.